Am I too old to play Elroy in a live-action Jetsons movie? You're right, too hard to tell. It's Christian Youth Theater and the Narnia musical this week on Why Do You Know That? Welcome to Why Do You Know That, the party podcast that wants to know why you know so much about a very specific topic. I'm Nadia Osman. I'm Steve Slaga. Hi, Steve. Hey, Nadia. How are you doing? I'm good. I'm, I've been tent shopping. I'm going to, this is huge. Uh, I'm going to drive to Michigan. And I decided the best way to kind of do it without like interacting with too many people um, is like, why not camp? Campgrounds are open. Like, mm-hmm. I have a friend in Utah I'm going to stay with for a night. I'm going to stay with friend of the pod, Ann Lane, in Denver for a night. Uh, and then I'm going to camp in Iowa. So I'm just trying to figure out tents, but they're so fucking expensive. And it's like, why? This is <laughs> like outdoor. I, outdoor people shouldn't be spending all this money on, you know, niceties. It should just be tart steaks, $15. I totally agree. I have also been looking into camping. I know we had a conversation way back, sort of towards the beginning of quarantine, where I was like, you know, have you done camping? Have you done yurts? What do you think? Blah, blah, blah. Have you done camping? You can clearly tell how seasoned I am as a camper. And I say, have you done camping? You're ready to go do some camp. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, I have my John Waters Criterion collection set up and ready to go. Uh, No, I. I am intrigued and I hope that you are able to find a tent that is not $4 billion. And I think everybody else in America got the same idea because they were like, hey, we got all this outdoors. Yeah. COVID-19 is not transmitted very well outdoors. Like outdoors is very low risk. I know I'll go into the great outdoors. And so as a result, not only has it been hard to find a reasonably priced tent, but it also feels like yeah. any the more expensive ones are just sold out. It's and like I don't free weights. I don't know about you, but I don't know what a reasonably priced tent is. For me, over forty dollars is extravagant for tarp and poles yeah. and zippers, and yeah. like they're like over a hundred dollars. And I don't understand why. I don't want all that. I don't need all that. I don't want all that. I'm Steve. Yeah, I'm thinking. Mm-hmm. There's one method of trying to find tents that are reasonably priced that we haven't tried yet, and that's preying on it. Oh, you're right. I have not preyed on a... Actually, you know what? How dare you assume I haven't been praying for tents all this time? <laughs> um, but you're right. I, I guess if we looked to our Lord for things like tents or... Musical theater. Let's bring in our guest. He is a UCB comedian and actor. Please welcome Kale Hills. Hi. Hi. How Kale, are you how doing? Much, before that, how much would you spend on a tent? So I would just, specifically for your endeavor, I would borrow one, I think. I've thought about that, but I kind of want to have a tent. Yeah. In that case, I think 200 And then I would, okay. I would spend about $200 based on... Um, Absolutely nothing. And <laughs> I, but then I would, of course, 100% tell myself, like, now I have to go camping eight times to make this yes. worth it. And then the Disney annual pass problem, uh, as logic. they call it. Yes. yes. And 
then a year after I bought the tent and had gone camping precisely no times, I would drive it to a Goodwill and drop it off for a, a net loss of probably like $300 at that point. Yeah. I mean, that does, that does sound very, very close. What I expect, I anticipate something like I'm going to get a cheap tent and it's going to get ruined on night two in the rain. And I'm just going to go to nice hotels the rest of the time and charge it (laughs) and just be like, but travel points. (laughs) I mean, the thing about camping is I am not the person to talk to about this. So the idea of $200 on a tent, there's a part of my brain that knows that's how much like a, a good tent would cost. On the other hand, I'm like, $200. Yeah, I know. That's, it's like that's for fabric. The, what? That's how I feel like when I go to a diner and I order a BLT and it costs anything more than $2. Yes. Where I'm like, why? I, I can do this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You're giving yeah. me sides. <laughs> this is a sandwich made of sides. <laughs> <laughs> or a grilled cheese. A grilled cheese that costs anything more than like maximum $4.29. Is I just insane. grit my teeth. I grit my teeth and I'm just like, God damn it. I'm going to satisfy this craving, but I'm mad about it. At this, it's, so, it's so fun to be mad about a choice you've made. <laughs> I'm all too familiar with that <laughs> feeling. Uh, speaking about being mad about choices you made, today <laughs> we're going to I don't to know talking- if we can B2B do that. <laughs> <laughs> That's fair. That I don't know that that deserves a seg alert. Uh, so today we're going to be talking about Christian youth theater, specifically the Chronicles of Narnia musical. Uh, Kale, why do you know that? So I know that because I was in a production of the Chronicles of Narnia uh, through a branch of Christian youth theater in the Kansas City, Missouri area. Um Lots of things there that maybe people would know, maybe wouldn't. Christian Youth Theater is an after-school theater program that started in the 80s. It has branches all across the country. It started, I believe, in Southern California. um, And they put on classes and musical productions with an emphasis in a Christian point of view. And then the Chronicles of Narnia specifically is um, a musical adaptation that obviously lines up with those values because if you don't know the Chronicles of Narnia, it's a series of novels, uh, fantasy novels written by the Christian apologist C.S. Lewis. Um, in looking up info about CYT, uh, they offer drama, dance, singing, and they perform like three to nine productions a year, which feels like a lot. And I think I was just basing it off of the fact that at any public school, if there is any kind of theater program, there tends to be like the school play mm-hmm. and maybe the school musical. Maybe Wait, you how get many? Three. Like, like they Did do you three, say- to, three to nine a That's year. That's a wide net. Three to nine? <laughs> <laughs> but like up yeah. to nine feels like a lot. Up to like, nine right? is a lot. That's just I just feel like that's such a that's a massive. <laughs> that's amount. just such a wide range. Either, like three is not a ton. Nine, right. I agree, is a lot. Three to nine is just a wide span of like. I think it <laughs> is because there is a wide swath of like scale when it comes to the different. Like the Kansas City one was by the time I was involved, pretty 
pretty relative. I think it was like relatively big. So I think they did like four a year, but I imagine there's some really small ones as well. I'm not sure. I'm looking at the uh, Christian Youth Theater for, uh, website for Kansas City specifically. And just camps alone, just day camps and overnight camps. You've got a half-day camp, a full-day camp, extreme camp, no E in front of that extreme, just the capital X. That's how you know it's Christian, because that X yeah. is a cross. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> that one is the one that teaches you stage combat, improv, tech theater, action. Then you got high school drama camp. Then there are two different overnight camps for middle school and high school, respectively. Like these people wow. are on it. There is a lot of programming if you happen to be Christian or somewhere in that umbrella. And before, just because I'm not sure, is Christian Youth Theater supposed to be specifically evangelical, or if you're like a casual Presbyterian, you can do yeah. it? Yeah. So I think it has like roughly the same kind of ethos as a VBS or Vacation Bible School, which is like programming that a church might run, which is geared towards the broader community. So like mm -hmm. the most Christian things about CYT are you pray before rehearsals. Okay. The subject matter is going to be family friendly or in some cases like specifically Christian in outlook. And then also at some point the director or someone will feel obligated to like write in their little director's note like, Actually, did you know that the Beauty and the Beast story is about how God sees us for who we really are? Anyway, right. enjoy. Be our guest. <laughs> <laughs> I like the idea that the director is coming out <laughs> like the fucking Our Town narrator halfway like in the middle of the like before mm -hmm. songs are about to launch. And it's yeah. like, hi, everyone. I hope you're having a good evening. Uh, were you aware that Cinderella is actually a fable for how greed can ruin us all. Mm. Anyway. <laughs> you know, yeah, I'd be way more into directing if I can just come out and talk whenever I feel move, like Steve, <laughs> move to a small, any small town, and you can do that because another, outside of CYT, I also had experience in uh, Leavenworth, Kansas, which is a small town, and the community theater there was entirely a, an ego project for the director who all the tropes of like waiting for Guffman are true. Like his girlfriend is cast as the lead. He does have a fake copy of Time Magazine hanging up in his home where he is on the cover. If you oh like, God. if that's what you want to do, it is achievable. <laughs> I, think may, I think it would be brave of me. <laughs> I think so. <laughs> I don't think there's anything braver I could do than give up now and go move in direct Christian youth theater <laughs> yeah. in the middle of America. Nadia? And especially in a pandemic. I mean, the I theaters could, yeah. aren't even open. Yeah. <laughs> well, I want to get there before they reopen so I can kind of, you know. Slide right in. Yeah. We'll just get a, get a sense of, yeah, exactly. And you Steve's going to Harold Hill his way into a small town theater company and just be like, it seems what you boys need is a, is a, is a, a stage production of... Uh, Help me out here, Kale. What uh, Beyond Beauty and the Beast? Oh, the Ugly Duckling. The Ugly Duckling. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, I was gonna say Seven so Brides for, for that Seven Brothers. Oh, fine. Oh, yeah. One of my grandmother's favorites. <laughs> the movie, I mean, of Seven Brides for Seven Brothers, not the stage version. Well, how, I mean, thank how many, you. How many times has the stage version even gone up? Like, I think just the once in the forties. 
<laughs> just one time. They spent all that money on <laughs> one show. My high school, I think, did it. I think we did that. I think we were. I think they did Brigadoon after I left. Crazy for you. I definitely went to one of those Michigan high schools where, like, mm. the musical theater program. What, like, the musicals were happy white people singing and dancing, except maybe there's a misunderstanding halfway through. Mm. Mm-hmm. And it's like a romantic misunderstanding, but all's well that ends well kind of exactly. thing. Exactly. Oh, we actually both do love each other. Okay. <laughs> we weren't particularly daring at my high school as far as musical stuff goes. Uh, but I do remember one year they did a production of Once on this Island. Mm. Uh, and my school was very heavily Asian. And the fact is, Once on this Island is a show that just is designed for a black cast. So that one was weird. Yeah, but that's I, no weirder, I think, than any high school where it's like, you know, uh, Thomas Jefferson High smack in the middle of uh, Lincoln, Nebraska is going to put on a production of Dreamgirls. <laughs> uh, my high school in Novi, Michigan, I rem- they did Hairspray a few years ago. And I remember one of the teachers like, that I had kept in touch with was like, we finally have enough black people so we can do hairspray. Oh my God. <laughs> Which Jesus is like, Jesus Christ. Well, I mean, in her defense, at least they didn't do it before they didn't have enough fair, people. Of fair, fair. I heard, fair. I don't know if this is uh, factual or not, but I heard that there were enough productions of hairspray with all white casts that the creators had to seek legal action against. Like oh, I believe the that. casting requirements, or I don't understand. Theater is so confusing to me in <laughs> terms of well, in a lot of ways. But the rights of like putting up a production are so. It seems as though the creators, maybe in a good way, have a lot of power to be able to say like, if you don't do this in this very particular way, you can't do it. Is that true? Yeah. You, not you, I, you guys know a lot about I theater. I think <laughs> so. I mean, what's what's really astounding to me is like how much money theaters, like high school theaters, pay mm. just to do the show. You'd think that they'd be like, "Hey, here's the script for Little Shop. You're all learning. Here you go." Yeah. As opposed to like, oh, would you like the high school version of Avenue Q? Ten thousand dollars, please. Like I could, why not just go online and just copy all the songs off YouTube and put it up yourself? There are definitely besides, I know people, besides it's illegal. <laughs> <laughs> but I do know people who have uh, gone to high schools where they did end up doing that. There are like copyright free versions where they're going to put up like the little mermaid Mm -hmm. but it's not the little mermaid that is the disney-fied production with the wonderful lyrics of howard ashman and the wonderful compositions of alan minkin but rather just some random thing where it's just like my name is ursula and i am gonna ask you to give me your voice like i'm sorry that's beautiful yeah that sounds great (laughs) Wait, do they still yeah. use the characters? Just change yes. the songs? So yes. they're, or, so they're or only halfway back. interested in in uh, copyright infringement. Yes, that or um, I've heard of productions where they'll go back to sort of the original uh, version of something. So something like Little Mermaid, they're like, this is Han Christian Andersen's Little Mermaid. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So then they'll throw in some of the stuff from the uh, non-public domain, I'm sorry, the public domain version in order to make sure that they can get away with it. So that one's uh, dark though. She dies at the end. I think yeah. is a big, I think that's a driving factor in the productions that CYT chooses to do. Not only is there like a content 
consideration. There is a heavy cost consideration because it's the kind of thing that's entirely funded just by people signing up and paying like after school activities fees independently. Um, mm-hmm. And the, a lot of the shows were kind of those public domain things. Another, like another musical that I was in when I was doing this was Robin Hood, mm-hmm. um, but not Disney's Robin Hood. Just like, I guess someone had some free time one afternoon and wrote a Robin <laughs> Hood musical. <laughs> There's rich, there's poor. He gives for one, takes yeah. the other. You get it. Little John, we're good. <laughs> it didn't even rhyme, and it was so good. Um, <laughs> CYT's first musical, apparently, um, was The Sound of Music in San Diego. And it was such a hit that they were able to start this after-school arts program specifically for kids like four or five to 18 all the way through high school. Um, and then that show was you're a good man, Charlie Brown. Um, that struck me because I thought, Oh, so they, they picked two like known musicals. Like most mm-hmm. people I think are at least have a passing familiarity with something like you're a good man, Charlie Brown is like, Oh, the peanuts musical. And like nearly everybody knows what sound of music is. So it's, it, it was, I wouldn't say odd to me. It was just like, oh, I'm surprised that they uh, ended up going not just with a fairy tale productions or something that maybe more people know like Annie, um, but they're going with some of the mid tiers. Were you, which ones were you in, Kale, besides Chronicles of Narnia? So I was only in three of the musicals because the way that it's structured is you can take a class and then you can also be in the musical. Um, and the classes, frankly, the, the classes rule because the classes are like, um, they're just like acting classes, but then also sometimes they're so specific. Like when I was 11, I want to say I was 11 or 12, I took a class that was an accent workshop. And so it's literally a room full of 15 little kids from Missouri being like, I'm British. I'm British. I'm British. <laughs> um, so you take the classes and then they put on the the productions as well. I was in Cinderella, Robin Hood, and the Chronicles of Narnia. Then they started offering improv classes and there was an improv team um, that functioned the same way as comedy sports, but just within CYT. And they would have an annual improvathon in San Diego. So once mm. that became available to me, I was like, forget the musical. I'm just going to take the improv classes and be on the improv team um, and try to do that. And so I did it all through high school, but I only, I did musical productions when I was in middle school and then improv in high school. And that was all a uh, short form game. It was all short form. Thing. Yeah. Um, and I assume, like, in keeping with the CYT ethos, it's just, like, you're never allowed to make some kind of drug reference. You're not allowed to curse. Like, it's all clean improv, if you will. None of this going blue nonsense. Yes. Um, but that's a tricky, like, it's a tricky line to walk. And I think it's always really fascinating as, like, someone who was immersed in in Christian culture and evangelical culture my entire life, what's okay and what's off limits where it's like, yeah, don't talk about drugs. Don't talk about sex. 
if you want to do like a huge kind of cartoonish caricature of an accent, go to town. Oh boy. <laughs> um, which is, I think like a short sighted thing that was true for a lot of white America, especially in the mid 2000s. Like you think about what was on mad TV at the time. It was like, Oh, oh yeah. sure. Like you could yeah. do, here's what I'll say. You could do miss Swan at a CYT improv show and it would kill and no one would say anything. No, uh, <laughs> that's all I'm going to leave it at. No. So, um, so they've performed, uh, being the beast, Peter Pan, sleeping beauty, the music man, miserable school edition, which I was trying to think, how do you connect Les Miserables, a musical mm. about a specific, uh, not the French Revolution, but a little bit after the French Revolution? How do you uh, connect that revolutionary feel of that show to Christian values? Whoa, that's, that's great. And honestly, this would be a great short form game where you just take something and you say, how do you make it Christian? Um, <laughs> <laughs> that would. We just need a fun rap for it. Make yeah. it Christian, make it Christian, make it Christian. <laughs> make it Christian, make it Christian, make it Christian. Ah, uh, Lay Miz is the place where you learned about God's grace. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and that's what's fun about uh, performance. Like, did I make an actual point? No. Did I rhyme? Yes. <laughs> um, that's interesting. Yeah. What would the Christian take on Les Mis be? I think like, you know, broader themes in Christianity are about liberation and like people who are oppressed. And even if a lot of Christian America doesn't seem to really get how that connects to our actual lives, Mm-hmm. They are at least willing to like look at a play and be like, see, it's like that. Yeah. Yeah. It was just something that struck me as far as like shows that would be picked because something like the Chronicles of Narnia musical makes perfect sense. Les Mis, I was like, oh, interesting. Well, but I, I also wonder if it varies like location. I wonder, to location. yeah, like the local culture. Like, are the people in CYT San Diego like, yeah, man, we're doing CYT Presents Rent. <laughs> yeah, Maybe. exactly. We, we've just cut out all mentions of AIDS. So the show is now 18 minutes. It's about a group of uh, college graduates who get jobs right away and pay their <laughs> rent on the first. <laughs> and are responsible citizens who pull themselves up. Bye. We are going to pay <laughs> this month's rent. There is. Is this a joke or was <laughs> this real? There was a high school that did a production of Rent but swapped it out the AIDS specifics for diabetes. I want to say that is real, but I also it. it could also be very fake. I will never, we'll never know. We don't have any way of finding out the answer. <laughs> Impossible. Steve's on it. He's. Gonna I'm already googling, but all I'm finding is headlines for "Is this real?" <laughs> oh, cool. <laughs> Um, did you end up taking, so you, you took all the improv classes. Did you end up taking any other um, theater-based classes like set construction or stunts? I know you mentioned the accents and dialects class. Did you do stuff like special effects yeah, or I did, hand-to-hand combat on stage, any of that? I did exclusively performance-oriented things like acting, singing, um, Though I will say like one thing that is really cool about any arts organization is just like by 
giving kids a space to know that the arts even exist. It just opens you up to the possibility that that's something that you can do. And I know mm-hmm. someone from when I was in middle school who took a combat class at CYT in Kansas City and then became a professional stunt person later in That's life, so cool. Which is like, I don't know how necessarily he would have found that path otherwise. Yes. No, I love that. I love when I find out that people were able to use a theater program when they were a kid and it directly led to their career of choice now in the arts because, it's as you said, it's letting kids know everywhere that this is an accessible thing. This is not something, despite the fact that where I grew up, they had these programs, I wasn't in these programs. Mm -hmm. So I didn't know that this is something that I could even consider or do until much, much later. I don't know how it was for you, Steve. I know you were much more involved in drama and stuff in high school. You were in a lot of drama, Steve. I mean, (laughs) there was, I was in drama and I I was involved in drama (laughs) and I was involved (laughs) in drama. (laughs) Um, yeah, my freshman year, I auditioned for the freshman play and didn't get in and is, as is very uh, common for me, it was like, well, then I guess I just don't act. Mm. Um, so then the following year, they changed it to the freshman sophomore play. Um, and I was like, you know what? Fine. I'll give it a shot. And I got into the freshman sophomore play. I was... I was Prince Ling, uh, married to Sleeping Beauty. Mm. Um, They gave him a name. It was Ling. uh, And it was Happily Never After. And you guys, oh my God, imagine this. So all the fairy tale couples got married. But guess what? They're not happily ever after. What? They're happily (gasps) never after. And they have to go see a therapist. So I had to go with Sleeping Beauty to see the fairy tale therapist because she slept all day. (laughs) Anyway, that was the beginning. (laughs) And here I am now in Los Angeles, California. Wow. A few few small steps along the way, but pretty much. (laughs) But you can kind of draw a one-to-one connection between that and now. That is the best part about productions in middle school and high school is you're not allowed to exclude people. And I think a big part of what CYT has to consider when they're deciding what to do or at any high school, uh, like with Steve's situation, is just like, how can we get all these kids on stage? And specifically Mm -hmm. in the Chronicles of Narnia, it's perfect because you can just have like little woodland creatures or my part was I played a Cruelly, what is known as a Cruelly, which is the demon henchman of the uh, White Witch. And (laughs) my only job in the play, in the musical, was when she showed up in a scene, the Cruellys would also show up and, like, roll around. (laughs) (laughs) There's nothing I love more than like those, like when we did Peter Pan, uh, there were like 10 law, there were 10 pirate roles, but 12 boys auditioned. So she just added two more pirates and let's gave, she gave one of them a line that was just, um, and at some point just say, yeah, it's Hook's fault. But you're right. Like you can't like you have to deal with parents and uh, and the parents are paying money for these kids to be doing these Mm -hmm. programs. So like you can't just be like, 
sorry, Dawn's just not good enough. <laughs> yeah. to be like, all right, well, Dawn, you're playing, uh, you're playing the fourth sibling who, <laughs> yeah. uh, who can't fly as well. So she stays in the bedroom. <laughs> there are now 13 Von Trapp kids. You five <laughs> yeah. will stand in the back and wave your arms. <laughs> well, also because apparently with CYT uh, and Kel back me up on this, is this true or not? But uh, what I was reading is that parents are typically ser- expected to serve on some kind of committee. And those committees can be like, we need you to help make costumes or build props because, again, this is small operation that's uh as all those after school dues but it's not like they're getting grant money the way a public school might in order to say like this is the theater budget so yeah totally was your mom was your mom involved in making you costumes or did she do anything like that or your dad this or anybody in your family were they like yeah i'm trying to remember running the tech booth um i mean no not my family, just because, like, that's not really how my family rolled. Um, my f- my involvement in CYT was very much, like, I liked theater. I wanted to do theater. My parents were okay with me doing theater, but I don't think they even knew about that aspect of it. They were like, where do you need to mm. be and when, and we'll make it happen. But it, okay. But that is the, like... Also, they didn't need to. Maybe they did, and I'm just not. Yeah, you know what? Actually, there would there would be like okay. So, so specifically, when I started getting involved in the improv side of things, we would have like a fundraiser to um, raise money for our trip to San Diego for the improv competition, and they would do like a bake sale or something. But for the musicals, it was much more like there were. I'm thinking specifically of one of my friends. Her mom was like was like please let me make the costumes. Ah, uh, okay. Yeah. So very actively involved. Yes. Like, so red red flag. Red flag on any parent who's like, please let me make the costumes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I swear to God, if you let Joanne do it again, I'm going to come in here and set this whole place on fire. <laughs> yeah. That was my mom with marching band. I only did marching band freshman year because my mom was like, I just want to be a marching band mom. I just want to walk alongside the band in the parade and have water bottles and like check in the, the uniforms when you're done. That's sweet. And so like I had, I mean, I had done band from fifth grade to eighth grade. So it's not like I was just like, well, I'll give it one more year. Like I'm in it. Um, I hated it. But uh, I definitely was like, what, what do you like? What do you mean I volunteer to do this? If I'm leaving the house, you should be like, good. Bye. <laughs> Not let me make the costumes. Get a life. Get a life, parents. That goes for, that goes for all parents. Get a life. <laughs> <laughs> Give me all of your self-time and energy for yeah. precisely 13 years um, and then bug off. Speaking of parents, I would like to talk about a set of parents, uh, Cheryl and Paul Russell, the co-founders. Oh, of yeah. Theater, and their son, uh, their son, Jason Russell, who you guys might uh-huh. remember from Invisible Children and uh, Coney 2012. And Wait, uh, having I a don't... psychotic break in uh, in like San Diego. That's yes. them? Yeah. yeah, that's their son. He, he, that's yeah. the f- that is the first oh, wow. kid of CYT. <laughs> <laughs> the prince that of CYT. The, if the, will. He's the Chelsea Clinton. Of he's the Chelsea Clinton. <laughs> <laughs> wow, I did uh, not yes. know that. 
I remember yes. Paul, like Paul occupied kind of like a little bit of like a personality cult, not in a bad way, but just like you knew if you were in CYT, you knew who Paul yeah. was. Well, I mean, Christian youth theater, there's going to be some cult of personality types involved. <laughs> it's, yeah. just a, it's just a part of the mechanics. It's inevitable. <laughs> but I did not know Jason. Well, I guess I was also, that specifically was a long time after I was there. Sure. Yeah, no, he's, yeah. he's uh, definitely was doing this way before he, you were doing this. I think about the time he was maybe creating the Invisible Children organization, you were like, I should do improv here. <laughs> uh, so, you know, but it is very... Uh, it's, yeah. It's if anything, intriguing. If it's anything, intriguing. what you missed was the opportunity to go up to uh, Cheryl and Paul and just give them like a, how you doing? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, another notable alum, Michelle Williams. Mm-hmm. Which one? Uh, the film actress. The one that we all know oh. and love. Film and uh, television. Film yes, and television. Film and television. Let us not write off her one TV show. <laughs> <laughs> she did a great job as Gwen Verne. She Vern. did. That's a oh, great show. Oh, I was show. thinking Dawson's Creek. Fine. Two, two TV roles. Her, double, her book-ended career was television. No, <laughs> yeah. she's going to have a long, long, wonderful career. She will get her... Michelle, if you're listening to this, we love you. I will, you're fantastic. <laughs> yeah. I will post this GIF because it's that important. But have, do you guys know... I feel Nadia must know what I'm talking about when I say the scene in Fosse Verdon when uh, Michelle Williams goes to wipe tears. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> all that hand. All the hand. All like, that hand. And she was because I read an interview with her because, of course, she's very like, oh, I don't really follow the Internet. I don't really know what a GIF is, but people send me this. That's so that's so like charming, I guess. Um, but they're like, but why did you do that? Like, <laughs> this isn't about people making into a GIF. You had a choice as an mm. actress. And you chose that. And just, I don't even remember what her answer was, but like, I love it. I mean, like, I'm all yeah. for choices. So whatever her answer was, was the right answer. Yes. She was a, you know, she's a choreographer. She moved. She just let her body move however it would move to take care of itself. I like to think that the roots of that choice come all the way from her CYT training. Absolutely. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Um, because you'll notice when I mentioned it, Kale immediately knew how to wipe his tears. That must be from CYT. I knew. I knew. <laughs> That's actually one of the classes I took. <laughs> um, so in talking about this specific production that you were in, uh, let's say aliens came down and they were like, what the hell is the line, the witch and the wardrobe? Or what is Chronicles of Darty? Like, why right. don't you give a quick brief overview for somebody who maybe is not so familiar with the books or even that uh, cartoon from the 70s, which was my introduction to it. Oh, interesting. Cool. Yeah. So The Chronicles of Narnia is a series of fantasy novels by C.S. Lewis. If you weren't a Christian, you could read them and potentially see them as just fantasy novels and not understand necessarily the explicit allegory to the Bible story, but it is very intentionally and explicitly a direct and literal allegory. And specifically the, the lion, the witch and the wardrobe is the novel that is about 
the like death and resurrection story um, and the salvation narrative. Um, and so that's like the uh, heart of it. But what it is, is it's a story about um, four British school-age children who are alive during the Second World War and sent to the country to live with a relative. And they find a magical wardrobe that opens up into the land of Narnia, which is a fantasy realm filled with um, fawns and uh, sprites and wizards and um, things like that. But when they arrive, the land of Narnia is in an eternal winter um, because Aslan isn't there, or he is. Uh, <laughs> Santa's also a character somehow. <laughs> it starts to like, is a very rich, there's a lot of world building, but the story is specifically about the conflict between Aslan the lion and um, the white witch. Um, who I, mean, I don't is, think he's there at the top. I think he's absent and hence the winter and the idea is yes. he's got to return and then uh and then he dies, and three days later, he comes back. Yes, yeah. Something along those lines. Um, no, that's precisely correct, yeah. Uh, and so in taking on <laughs> this role, is there anything that you can recall specifically from the Chronicles of Narnia that was like both A, something that felt good to you as somebody who was immersed in evangelical Christianity? Did it feel like, oh, this is a production where I get to like say something, there's a message behind this? Or, oh, or, that's or, interesting. Or was it closer to be like, you know what? This is just great. I get to roll around on stage and I don't got to worry about like a whole song. So yes, definitely more of the latter. You know, I was a 12 year old kid. And even though I was like immersed in that point of view, I wasn't like, I wasn't personally trying to like evangelize. And also at the time I was um, homeschooled. And uh, so it was just a social outlet. It was like the first place that I experienced bullying. And I was like, yes, I'm living. Um, I'm finally around other kids. Uh, but also I will say something that's interesting about like being an evangelical Christian is a lot of your pop culture and a lot of the pop culture that's available to you that you're allowed to like is not good. And <laughs> the Chronicles of Narnia is a great story. It's like a fun universe. And so there is something, there is something satisfying about being a little Christian kid and being like, you know what? This thing that is Christian is actually also fun. Yeah, and it's also a thing that is known. Yes. Compared to, I mean, what's the most, like, mainstream? Like, maybe VeggieTales is probably the most mainstream Christian yeah. uh, children's yeah. entertainment. VeggieTales, for sure. Versus, like, uh, oh, God, what's that thing called where it's, like, multiple stories? Is it called Odyssey? Adventures in Odyssey. Adventures in Odyssey. Thank you. Uh, which kids at school would talk about. Like the, that stuff is, if you're not in it, you're like, huh? What? It is. Yeah. It's yeah. like a, a niche subculture. So when you find something that bridges the gap, you feel like just more normal. Yeah. 
Um, so uh, do you know anything about the history of this licensed musical stage adaptation? I, so I, I really don't. And that was something that I wanted to look up in preparation, but didn't because I'm also still made, I'm just curious, like, whose idea was this? Who was like, <laughs> who was like, of all the things we need to write a musical about, it's this, it's this. I mean, it's pretty ahead of its time because now look at Broadway, you guys. Waitress. Um, yeah, it's all IP. Uh, Beetlejuice. Sponge, like, yeah, SpongeBob. SpongeBob. Yeah, so Shrek. really ahead of its time. Shrek. I, fun fact, the last like event I went, I was at in public, me and uh, Gilly and Mono and Betsy went to a high school production of Shrek the Musical. That's the last thing I did in March. Oh. Um, no connection to anyone in the show. Just went. <laughs> I forgot you did that. That's. I think that rules. It How was, was it? Amazing. Um, it was a theater that it was a school that's very into its theater department. Parents yeah. throw a lot of their time and energy into raising money. That the school has a lot of money to put into the department, and it showed. Um, but like, it was really good. Gilly cried. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, I would say the one thing they could have done is don't actually cast children to play like little baby Shrek running around as a child Shrek in flashback scenes because that just looked horrifying. But otherwise, you know, <laughs> I have no qualms with Shrek the musical. I think it's better than Shrek the movie. <laughs> wow. Strong that's words. A big claim. Well, how good is Shrek the movie? That's fair. I remember it being very good. Okay. I remember it being... Kind of groundbreaking. <laughs> fair, fair. I just remember being like, wait a minute, you took all the fairy tale characters out of this. So that's what I that's what I came and to they, see. And they live happily never after? What? Oh my god. That's why I have such a problem with Shrek, is because I already know the perfect way to tell the fairy tale characters <laughs> stories. And yep. it's not that. It's in therapy. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for solving that. Do you know when Happily Never After was originated? Just because I'm curious if it was, it feels like there was a huge cultural moment where everything was about therapy. Everything was set in therapy. It was like people realized for the first time that therapy existed. And there, if maybe I'm making that up. Mm. Um, let's see. Well, if you go to pioneerdrama.com, you can find Happily Never After by Tim Kelly. And guess what? You're going to have to pay for it. Unbelievable. There's no year attached to that, though? 1975. Oh, okay. So way back. Let's see. Miss Scribe uh, was the secretary to the counselor. Um, Prince Charming, Cinderella, the stepsisters, Prince Ling and Sleeping Beauty, Frog Prince and Frog Princess, and Snow White. That's right. Oh, the Frog Prince got really mad because... Um, the whole joke with the pond princess and the frog prince was even though he was a human, all he would say is ribbit and hop around. And the guy that played the frog prince was too good for that and refused to wear green and refused to hop around and act mm. like a frog and would just sit down and be like, ribbit, ribbit, ribbit. And again, because it's school, uh, they just let him. Because <laughs> <laughs> what are you going to do? Yeah. You can't <laughs> kick him out. Not worth That's the not, energy. They're not paying him to be there. And it's going to be more of a hassle if they're like, you have to quit this production. Now we got to train a new kid who will actually mm -hmm. listen to us. Just let him. Listen yeah. to and that actor's name. 
was Michelle Michelle Williams. Williams. From what I can gather, Chronicles of Narnia as a musical started as uh, there was an adaptation of The Voyage of the Dawn Trader, which happened at Northwestern College in Minnesota. And then um, that eventually later there was a Lion, Witch, and the Wardrobe version at uh, London's Westminster Theater, which was a play, I think. And then somewhere along the line, there became uh, an adaptation of Lion called Narnia the Musical. Jules Tasca wrote that in 1986. And there were music by Thomas Tierney and lyrics by Ted Drachman. And this streamlined version is the one that has toured in America with Theater Works USA since 93. So that is probably mm. the version that you ended up performing in. So there's there seems to be, much like that stuff that I was alluding to earlier with uh, school productions that are a little bit off this seems like this is the main one that gets licensed out to various groups yes uh, that sounds right there's also a lion witch and wardrobe that the royal shakespeare company premiered and there was a different adaptation of the novel um that was created for the stage at some point in the late 90s so like this is a thing that people have been trying to make happen there seems to be multiple, multiple, multiple versions to the point where in my research, I was just like, I'm getting confused trying to figure out what is the original, mm -hmm. what is a version that got improved upon. But to my knowledge, there's no Broadway Narnia show. I don't think there is anyway. It's I all would be surprised local. if there were. And it is like, I think of the Chronicles of Narnia as like a massively influential piece of culture but i think that's true more so for christians obviously but then also c.s lewis is a hugely british figure so yeah. it makes sense that like yeah you people in the uk even outside of like a faith community are like oh yeah we know that guy it's interesting though because peter pan has been adapt i mean it started as a play but then it has been adapted into a musical and you know various other versions beyond that. So you'd think it'd be kind of the same thing. Like the closest that there is is a off-Broadway version that happened in 2011 that was a two-actor stage adaptation uh, at the St. Luke's Theater. And th that just, uh, that has jack-off motions written all over it. Like a two-person version of Chronicles of Narnia. Like yeah. it's fucking waiting for Godot shit but they're going to layer on like we're waiting for Aslan. Like what the fuck and is that? Specifically the thing that is fun about Narnia is if you had a lot of money and could make it like high production value yeah. because it's literally like snowing and there's talking animals and there's huge, like someone literally dies and comes back to life on stage. So nope. I think maybe now's the moment. Maybe yeah, now what's is Julie Taymor doing? We need Julie <laughs> Taymor. Oh, God, yeah. yes. To take yes. us to Narnia. And I'm going to say this. Give her, whoever's funding this, give her everything she asks for. <laughs> yeah, no, don't <laughs> Write hold back. her blank checks. <laughs> yes, yes. No, if she wants Aslan to come flying in from the back, let her do it. If she wants... uh. 
everybody in the audience to go full cats and hand out little pieces of Turkish delight to everybody else, let her do it. Let her do, she wants to actually bomb the audience as a way to illustrate the London air raids. Let her do it. (laughs) It will be phenomenal. Um, Do you guys remember, uh, it's very specific and it's okay if you don't, but around the time Spider-Man Turn Off the Dark was doing its thing. There was a trending hashtag. It was hashtag Julie Taymor high school director. And people would just like make fake quotes if Julie Taymor was directing a high school production. So one was like, uh, I think one was like, all right, Brandon, can you go two and a half hours without breathing while you're inside the plant costume? Julie Taymor, high school director. (laughs) Something (laughs) like that. I don't remember this, but I uh, love you would have gone. You would. I think of it often. <laughs> That's so fine. Um, okay, so getting back to your production, not this uh, two-person bullshit version of whatever that was. Um, how how many? Who was in the lead? Do you remember uh, what were the most coveted roles? If you were a, th- uh, a big time theater oh, kid, yeah, there, great like, question. What was the drama surrounding this drama? Yeah, what was the drama? Drama. What yeah, the drama, the drama. Drama. That's what um, Nadia's not. I and I, I hate to use this word, but when it comes to drama, Nadia's a hungry bitch. <laughs> oh yes, feed me. The most coveted roles, so the leads are there's four children in the, um, in the family, um, Peter, Susan, Edmund, and Lucy, and then there's the White Witch and Aslan, and then there's also who are um, not the hugest parts because they they're not the protagonists, so we're not with them all the time, but man, are they juicy roles. Um, and then there's also the family of beavers that take the kids in. I remember them from the movie, Narnia. Yes, yeah. And there's also Mr. Tumnus, who is a Ugh, fawn. He was, I hated him in the movie. <laughs> uh, those, are the, those are like the named characters that are coming to mind for me. And specifically, yes. I would say, to me, looking at the piece objectively probably the best part is the white witch because especially in like a um uh in a a christian production as the villain she was the person who gets the one song that's actually like fun Mm -hmm. and and she gets a song that's like a little bit dangerous, maybe slightly like sexy in tone. And that's how you know that like she's trouble. But oh man, what a fun part to get to be. Yes. Oh, yes. villain songs are always the best. Yeah, yeah. You For a villain number, I feel like you definitely want a big bombastic yes. thing. And that yeah. was the, yeah, the, the, the woman at the time, child, who was cast in the role was just like who's the best singer who can belt, who can like do a big number. Um, do you remember any of the other roles besides yours? Because what I'm seeing is there's Dwarf Fenris, Mrs. McCready, White Stag. Like at that point, then it just becomes here are the bit parts. Yes, yeah. And like Mrs. McCready is the housekeeper at the estate where they go live with their uncle. So she's truly just there at the beginning and the end. Mm-hmm. Um, 
because uh, there's like a convention where they spend years and years and an entire lifetime in Narnia and then they get back to England and it's only been, Mrs. McCready is like, it's only been five minutes. Right. Um, there's like that kind of moment. There was, yeah, the filler roles were like, if you were a boy, the filler roles were a cruelly or a wolf um, who would run around with the white witch. And if you were a girl, um, the filler role was an angel who would show up to round out the space whenever Aslan was around. And gotcha. there was, I do remember one of my favorite parts was there was a big fight at the end between the angels and the demons. And we got to do, um, what in my mind was kill bill level. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Bro, it's the like, battle at the house of a uh, uh, house of what is it? Oh, blue leaves. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah, something that I was like, Yes, this is real. This is violent. Like people are going to be talking about this. In reality, fully was just like, okay, so there's going to be like a strobe light and move in slow motion for a little bit and then fall on the ground. <laughs> I was also going to say like, there's no way it could be like any, in any way, particularly violent. It's Christian youth theater. So it's not oh, like Christians they're good. Christians love violence. Are you kidding me? Okay, that's fair. That's fair. But I was like, in my mind, it wouldn't, I don't, what I know versus yeah. what would actually happen, what I would think would happen is like, oh, there's no way a director would be like, okay, here's a fake knife. And then when he reaches, you're going to pull out like a red scarf and that's your blood. I would think that's yeah. going a step too far, but that's I could be very point. wrong. No, I think for children to be doing it is a different story, but there also is like a weird sadistic part of um, like the Christian point of view which is, I don't know if you remember when Passion of the Christ came out, but like huge. Yes. Passion of the Christ was massive. I was not allowed to see R-rated movies. However, an exception was made to go see the Passion of the Christ specifically because they wanted us to see what happened to Jesus's body. Jesus. Sorry. His body. Literally. Literally. But like <laughs> yeah. also figuratively because my God, that's a lot for a child. It is and, <laughs> and and it's you know it's also it's like very intentional it's like um descriptions of hell are very violent be, for a reason um and so it, yeah but in narnia you're absolutely you're right it's like these are kids acting it out no one it, wants to actually see their kid like do that so it, it makes was, me it think was. of uh adam's family when wednesday and pugsley are in the play and they Uncle Fester makes their fight scene like they chop off their arms and they're spraying blood all into the audience and the oh, parents yeah. are not having it. I wanted to go back for just a quick second. Turns out that Narnia the Musical uh, did have an off-Broadway version in New York where it was critically acclaimed. Uh, it just then became a national touring thing in the early 90s. Um, this is interesting to me that it is. it sounds like it's critically well-regarded because... Not to like, I just don't recall if you asked me to sing a melody from it or something, I cannot remember. <laughs> well, because I, I did pull up like the, the, the song list because I was like, what are what's the big hit? You know, typically every show has at least one song that everybody goes, oh, that's the song I'm going to sing yeah. you know, on my way home. That's the that's the one I'm humming. And it's also the thing that becomes sort of the basis for if you're any good at this is like the yeah. through line. This these 
this will uh, carry through into the other songs. And I, for the life of me, can't figure out what that would be with these songs. So we've got Doors and Windows, which is how it opens. Mm -hmm. That's where, that's like, we're running around the house playing hide and seek. Yeah. And then um, you've got Narnia, parentheses, you can't imagine. You can't imagine. <laughs> it's funny. That's a meta. That's a very meta commentary because you don't. You can't imagine because you're in the theater. We're going to show you Narnia. <laughs> so normally, if, if you you're try reading, to imagine, yeah. we will stop you. Exactly. <laughs> Guess what? I'm going to tell you what the Pevensey children look like. <laughs> uh, you got all of these hot and bothered at last. Okay. Oh, hot and bothered rules. I think. I think Hot and Bothered is the villain song and it's when like Edmund Edmund crosses paths with the White Witch and gives him Turkish delight and like gives him a, a hot chocolatey drink that like he's like he's the he's the selfish, greedy little child. Mm-hmm. Um uh and uh and I think so the song is is when she's like feeding him these like delights and it's like it's fun. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. End of list. <laughs> um, no, no. Uh, I, I mean, I, I like it as a song title. Uh, the way of murder today, which to, that took a hard left as far as song titles go on this list. Uh, uh, the, the, the children's theater production of Narnia has a song called Murder Today. I don't know if it's the children's version, but it okay. is the Narnia the Musical dot com I mean, version. If it, you do have to address the the fact that at some point, like they want to kill Aslan, they, like, have bloodlust for him. So that's, I guess, when they would be doing that. Oh, you know what? Yeah, I bet this is very, like, in Beauty and the Beast, like, through the mist, through the woods. Yes. The, this is that song, I bet. It is, yes. Uh, then we got A Field of Flowers, To Make the World Right Again, and then A Reprise of Narnia. So it seems short and sweet for a musical quite frankly. Except I remember it being five hours long. (laughs) (laughs) My memory of being in it, and probably just because I didn't have a part, most of my memory is just like being backstage being like, is this still happening? (laughs) That's how I felt the one time I did crew for a production. Anything (laughs) goes. Just like, how's we're still on this? Well, Anything Goes <laughs> is a very long show. That thing is like four. A- it's every Cole Porter song ever. They just threw them all in the sink. They're like, ah, I don't know. I ever sing this one now. Yeah. Like, Christ, yeah. it's it long is. when it's it doesn't like, yeah. need to be. It's like um, I recently found out that Greatest Showman was like writers of the songs from the TV show Smash wrote yes. most of the songs for Greatest Showman. Oh. So it seems very clear what happened here because I actually really like a lot of those songs, but the movie sucks. And so it seems like what happened here was like they just took songs and made a jukebox musical of their own stuff. That's so funny. And I think more people should do that. Like, well, that's also the origin of my actually my favorite film, this Singing in the Rain. Singing in the Rain was just like songs that uh, the studio already owned and they were like, "Eh, I don't know, do something with these. Yeah, put them together. Yep. Uh, I mean, one of the many correlations between Singing in the Rain and The Greatest Showman. Absolutely. (laughs) The two best movie musicals? Question mark? No, period. Exclamation point. (laughs) One of. (laughs) 
And it's Greatest Showman. Greatest Showman is the greatest movie musical. Uh, There's 12 minutes of great entertainment in The Greatest Showman. Don't deny yourself. I've just been trying to think of some connection between at 33, C.S. Lewis converted to Christianity, and at 33, P.T. Barnum was uh, convincing people around the country that you should come make money for me because people want to pay money to laugh at you. The historical figure of Jesus Christ was crucified at 33. Yeah. Yes. So 33 is a big number. Just something to think about for the viewers. <laughs> well, no, because Trump is over 33 and he's the next Christ. <laughs> yeah. Oh my God. I saw it on oh. I saw it on somebody's bumper. It must be true. <laughs> uh, we would be remiss if we did not talk about CYT and then also trigger warning, bring up sex assault and misconduct allegations. Oh, no. But it's apparently very recent. It's like only within the last like month or so. It's it's a 2020 thing. It's like this thing happened a while ago. It's no Coney 2012, mind you. So a former theater student and former staff member at San Diego's Christian Youth Theater came forward with allegations of misconduct between teachers and young students, and apparently dozens have made Mm. other similar claims of discrimination, racism, misconduct, all kinds of shit. And Janie Russell Cox, president of CYT, addressed the allegations uh, and said, we're fully committed to the safety of every single child. We are grieving for every single individual whom we love and care so deeply for who are hurting right now. We apologize. I love you. So... At least they took some ownership of that. I mean, not because they did anything, but just like as a group. Uh, right. And it's just, I mean, woof. I hate, I hate that every organization doing anything is, a, is uh, also a hotbed for awfulness. Absolutely. And I think it feels what's sad about it is like the way in which it feels inevitable, especially for like, um, like something like CYT, which is founded on a claim of morality, of course someone is going to try and take advantage of that. Similarly with comedy, where it's like, of course there has been a- assault and abuse at every comedy theater because it attracts like both a kind of person who is like open and, and willing to like take risks and a person who is conversely willing to take advantage of that. Yes, yes, very much so. And I can't help but feel like maybe this may have attracted the same thing. I hate that it is under the guise of this um, moral center. Um, And it does seem like in trying to figure out the stories of what happened, uh, there was one that stuck out to me. There was a, a former student who says they were discriminated for their sexual orientation uh, they said they're a queer woman and they did not feel safe or comfortable coming out or expressing their identity until long after CYT because of direct homophobic, hateful culture. And I sincerely hope that if anybody did CYT, that is not something that they had to fit. Like, I hope this isn't a, a complete anomaly, but, and if I mean, this is too much for you, please, I will shut the fuck up. But if, 
is there any moment that you can think of where you're like, you know, now I think about on that production of Narnia, everybody was a jerk to this one kid or like everybody was like you said, you know, if you pulled a Miss Swad impression out of your back pocket in the middle of this improv, you would kill like what do you feel like there was any moment of that or do you feel like your entire experience was pretty good? Um, my experience was largely positive. Uh, there was not a lot of, um, like direct discrimination, but the thing that is really difficult about, um, uh, evangelical culture and maybe compounded by Midwestern, uh, values is like, it creates a culture of silence around so many issues and um, specifically with sexuality, you know, it's a theater program. It's going mm. to attract people who, um, like, uh, have a, a, an experience or identity with their sexuality that's outside of the norm. And I can think very much of kids, peers of mine who... Um, I don't know if they were queer, but sure seemed like it. And the the approach was a huge, like, don't address this. Mm -hmm. Do not talk about this. And we will take so-and-so aside on their own and ask them to tone it down. And I'll say, at least in my personal experience as a queer person who didn't come out until on average, much later in life, um, it certainly didn't help me in any way feel comfortable or self-assured and made me feel like the way to process my experiences was to ignore them. Mm -hmm. And yeah. I think that's, I don't, I'm not going to put that on CYT or any specific individual. I think that's just the culture. It's, it's a reflection of me, my family, Christianity in America at large, a lot of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think it's impossible to put it just like with any comedy theater, any theater, any institution, any organization, anywhere. It's impossible to put it all on that one. Um, but it does seem uh, it, it's endemic. The, there's a yeah. different story about a uh, a young woman who says that she was sort of the a the quote is, I was a token, a random black girl. And as a result, because they weren't from a quote, big CYT rich family, unquote, um, right. there were leading roles, but she was not quote, good enough for those roles. And she'd be skipped over and it'd be given to a white person and that kind of thing. Um, my, my main takeaway here is do better CYT. If everybody else can get on board and start to look internally and figure their shit out, you can too, so that you can make the next young Michelle Williams or Kale Hills <laughs> wink, uh, <laughs> succeed in Hollywood. You know what I mean? Like now's the, now's a good time. We're all doing it. Every organization's doing it. It's kind of like the du jour thing of 2020 is look at your own shit and go oh no yeah. we fucked up like people don't understand right now the floodgates are open when uh -huh. it comes to oh fuck i'll do better yeah like, yeah we it's are very at a, we are, possible yes we are at a at a cultural reckoning where now you can still say 
I'm sorry. I didn't know. I do now. I'll do better. In a couple, you know, pretty soon in the near future, you're not going to be able to like look back on bad choices you made and like be okay. People won't be okay because it's like, no, where were you in in the summer of 2020 right. when this all happened? Like now's the time yeah. to do. It. Uh, I'm going to swing back on a positive note. If there's one role that you could like take over and do from from your time with CYT mm. Kale, what would it be? Like now with the skills you have as an actor now, like what would you be go like, I would fucking crush that. So it's kind of a roundabout answer because this technically wasn't CYT, but it was the first production I was ever in was a community theater uh, production of The Music Man. And I got very close to um, securing the role of Winthrop, which is the Ron Howard role in the movie, the little brother character. Um, and I didn't get it, and I lost the part to a girl. And specifically, I didn't get the part because I wasn't loud enough and I didn't know how to project. And I was so... I spent the rest of the production looking for ways to insert myself and make my character bigger. <laughs> that, I mean, good. That's the takeaway. But it did. Yes. Look, I'm going to tell a very self-indulgent anecdote right now, which is I managed to do it, and it was one of the first jokes I ever pulled off because there was a moment where I got to hold a tuba, and one show I was like, I'm going to start playing the tuba. Yeah. And I did, and the audience laughed. Did you know how to play it or did you just make like noises? No, there was, yeah, the bit was like blowing into the tuba, but okay. not good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's Very good. good. That's good. Yeah. Very good. I guess but you could so say I that would the well. <laughs> I would now, to answer your original question, I would be a 30 year old man playing <laughs> the eight year old child Winthrop. Just the deepest bass voice going, oh, well, the Wells Fargo wagon is a coming around the corner. <laughs> absolutely <laughs> not harold hill not the buddy hackett role from the movie no. uh, i can relate kale because i still haven't let go of my lifelong dream of being elroy jetson in a live action jetsons movie oh um, i've had that dream ever since the flintstones movie with john goodman came out and i saw it like seven times in theaters as a kid and i was like there will be a jetsons movie yeah. and i will be elroy jetson and they never made a live action Jetsons movie. So in my mind, I'm still, I'm not saying they'd cast me as an adult. Like in my mind, I'm still not over the fact that I would yeah. not be cast to play Elroy Jetson. You're still eligible. I think so. I think yeah. so. And I'm shocked that they haven't made that because in my mind, a live action Jetsons movie is free money. Kale Hills, thank you so much for coming on. Why do you know that? Oh, thank you so much for having me. What a is delight. There any what a Turkish <laughs> delight. There we go. Oh, hey. <laughs> Is there anything that you would like to plug at this time? Um, yes, I would like to plug the uh, Twitter account Mondo Mascots, uh, which I was reminded of listening to your uh, last episode with um, Drew Spears. I did, did you talk yes. about Mondo Mascots? Uh, I'm sure that we mentioned it. I love Mondo Mascots. It's, it's so, yeah, it's, it's a Twitter account that highlights different mascots from Japanese mascot culture and is um, a, a very joyful thing. Also, my improv team, Pony, um, is restarting our podcast. 
you can find us on Patreon uh, as Pony, uh, and that'll be coming out in the next couple weeks. And where can folks find you on the internet and all that? Oh, um, Twitter and Instagram, Kale Hills. Easy peasy, lemon squeezy Turkish. I can't do it. I had this whole fucking podcast to be able to squeeze it, and he got it at the last second, and I'm so fucking mad. If, if you had taken CYT's rigorous short-form <laughs> improv program, maybe you could have. Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening. If you like what you heard, tell everyone you know every way you know how. Remember to subscribe, rate, and review, and be sure to go back and listen to our older episodes if you missed them. We talked about some weird stuff. And be sure to follow us on Instagram at Why Do You Know That Pod or on Twitter at Why Do You Know Pod. They're different. And if you've got questions, comments, concerns, whatever, be sure to email us at Why Do You Know That Pod at gmail.com. Let's do this again sometime. Uh-huh.